The scripture reading this morning is from Joshua 6 and 7. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near beth east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up from there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. As you go to your seat, uh, let us pray. Uh, Father, we uh, pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear from you and in your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would apply the word to us in a way that brings us repentance, brings us joy from the repentance, and joy from the knowledge that we are kept by you and we are found in you by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we are uh, continuing in our study of uh, Joshua, and uh, we no doubt have taken a bit of a turn. So if you've been with us in this series so far, Things have gone relatively well. We have seen obedience from the people of God. We were told at the very beginning that their obedience was going to be key for their success as they move into the promised land. But uh, today, things are a bit different. And I think you probably even heard that and felt that in the tone of the text that Stephen just read over us. Uh, A lot of you in this room are probably familiar with the name Ravi Zacharias. If you're not, Ravi Zacharias, uh, who is now deceased, but for a very long time, very well known in the evangelical world. He was a a Christian apologist. Uh, He had a huge platform. He would travel around the world. He would uh, engage in uh, evangelistic conversations with several people, especially college students. It seemed to be where he focused most of his time. His ministry was named uh, RZIM. So RZIM was making inroads into dozens and dozens of countries all around the world, spreading the gospel. And so by all accounts, uh, from the outside looking in and uh, looking at the ministry of Ravi Zacharias and knowing the impact uh, his ministry was having around the world, it seemed like everything was incredibly fruitful. It looked like the gospel was going forth and this ministry was thriving and flourishing and Ravi Zacharias, it seemed had the favor of the Lord upon him. But what came out about Ravi Zacharias after his death three years ago was tragic and gut-wrenching. And I know a lot of you know the story about Ravi Zacharias, but several women came forward accusing him of gross sexual misconduct. Uh, His own ministry commissioned a report which found significant evidence of this kind of terrible conduct not just for a few months, but over a period of years and years in multiple countries, in multiple contexts, and with vulnerable women in particular. 
And we could go on about the different types of things that he was doing and the abuses that he took place in. It was horrific. And so indeed, uh, as we look at chapter 7, we see something has happened that's horrific for the people of God. Something horrific has happened. Very different from what we saw last week when the people in Jericho had celebrated all that God has done. They had marched around the city. God had uh, brought down the walls of Jericho. They had had great success. Chapter 6 ends on a very high note. That's why I wanted to start this morning uh, with cha- uh, chapter 6, verse 27. Joshua's fame spread throughout the land. And then we're hit in the gut as soon as we open chapter 7. But the people of God, the people of Israel, broke faith. A man from the tribe of Judah named Achan has done what God had told the people not to do in chapter 6. We talked about that last week. God said, do not take the things devoted to destruction Remember, we said there were two conditions last week. Take Ahab and her family, save them, and do not take the things devoted to destruction. And he said, God said that if you were to take the things devoted to destruction, it would bring trouble to Israel. It would bring great trouble. But Achan secretly took some of the things. So here we have uh, another Genesis 3 story. We have a Genesis 3 story. We have a fall. What had been so promising, just last chapter, so promising, the people now in the promised land, obedient, have now been fractured by disobedience. Sin has come in and fractured the community of God. So we think about Genesis 3. We think uh, just like we saw Eve desire the fruit. It looked good to her. So she saw it and she took it. And so Achan saw and took. He saw these things, he took them. Like Adam was culpable in the garden, so is all of Israel here. The anger of God we see is against all of the people, not just Achan. So as we are going to be in the first 15 verses of chapter 7 this morning, I want to turn our attention to the main idea. It's on the back of your uh, announcement handout that you got, hopefully, as you were on the way in. The main idea today is taking, turning away, and transgressing are terminal. Taking, turning away, and transgressing are terminal. Sin is deadly serious. Sin's serious. Now, let's go through this passage. What Stephen just read uh, is uh, kind of the account that we're seeing that Israel is conquered in AI. Israel is conquered. It's quite the reversal from what we have just been seeing. Again, uh, conquered at AI, but we just had a win in Jericho. We've seen a few times in the book of Joshua from the Canaanites, first from Rahab, and then as we started chapter 5, that the people in the land, the Canaanites, their hearts were melting because they were in terror, they were in fear of God and his people. But now we read that the people of Israel, their hearts are melting. They're fleeing the people of Ai in terror. Now, the way this is written, the way that Joshua 7 is written, 
we as the the audience, we as the readers, know what is happening. We're told there in verse 1 what is happening. Achan has taken some of the things devoted to destruction. But the people at this point, the people, the men of Israel going to war at Ai, they did not know this was happening. So you can imagine this, this was quite disorienting for them. After such a huge victory, God with them, and then all of a sudden, Ai, which was not as fortified as Jericho, you probably picked up on that as you heard the text. Don't send a bunch of people up there. This is going to be a cakewalk. We don't need all the men. But yet they were defeated at Ai. God would not allow Israel to make further inroads into the promised land with sin in their midst. The sin is a problem. Several years ago, I, uh, at the church I came from, uh, we were co-laboring with uh, a minister and his wife, and uh, they, had, they were living at the time in, in Crowley, but our church was in East Fort Worth, and, and so they, they put their house on the market, and they wanted to move closer to the church uh, to be more invested in the neighborhood the church was in. Uh, and so back then, this is, I think, maybe now at this point, seven, eight years ago, kind of like it has been here recently with the housing market, very hot housing market. Houses were staying on the market, maybe three or four days tops, and then uh, people were selling them and moving on. But their house uh, would not sell, would not sell. It was perplexing. It was a great house. It was marketed well. It was staged well. It did not make any sense that their house didn't move off of this really hot real estate market. It was very strange. It was inexplicable. We couldn't figure it out. And then it came out that this leader was hiding grievous sin from everyone, including his family. And eventually he and his family left the church. But the Lord was protecting them and the church from further harm that none of us knew existed at the time. It was a severe mercy that only made sense after the sin was brought into the light. Have you ever had experience like that? I'm not saying that every time we're confused about why God is not answering the prayers a certain way or things are not working out the way we thought they were. I'm not saying that every time that is happening that it's because of hidden sin. But surely there's been times in your life where you've been perplexed. Why isn't this happening? I thought this was the path that God had us on and only to come to find out later on is because hidden sin was preventing things from happening in the way that you thought they should. So Israel thought that they were, they were on their way. <laughs> They've seen Jericho, now AI, no big deal, and yet God has stopped them. Israel is conquered. Israel's conquered, and then as we continue to read this passage, verses 6 through 9 show that Joshua is confused. Joshua is confused. Let me read Verses 6 through 9. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth, fell on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan and all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Joshua is 
is confused. But unlike Israel, who turns their backs from their enemy, and unlike Achan, who turns his back away from God, Joshua turns to the Lord. And look at what Joshua is concerned here in this moment of great, great stress and of, of great lament. He's concerned about both the well-being of Israel, he's concerned about the men and women of Israel, and he's concerned about the great name of Yahweh. Of Yahweh. What will you do for your great name, O God? So Joshua and Israel are in an existential crisis. Why has this happened? What in the world is going on? Well, you keep your promises, God. You've said you're going to give us this land. Why is this happening? If Joshua would have just remembered what God had said back in chapter 6, this would have been only a few days previous that God said, do not take the things devoted to destruction. If Joshua would just have remembered that, he would know why this is happening. And so the rest of this passage shows us that while Israel is conquered and, and Joshua is confused, God is clear. God is not confused. God is clear. Just like with the man uh, with the sword that we saw at the end of chapter 5, Joshua is back on his face. He's back on his face before the Lord. This time it's to lament the loss and AI. And just like Joshua fell to his face before the sword swung in Jericho, the sword is about to swing again, but this time against Israel. The sword is about to swing, but this time it's not for a Canaanite or an Amorite, it's for Israel. Read the rest of uh, this little passage with me. We're going to go 10 through 15, verses 10 through 15. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. Verse 14. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near your tribes. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near the clans. And the clan that the Lord shall take Come, by, come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who has taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. God is clear. God is clear what has happened. God is clear as to what the next steps are. Israel is in trouble. Israel has sinned by taking some of the devoted things. This is why God says that he is against them. The Lord is against them. Sin is serious. 
and it's terminal. We read that the man who did this will be burned with fire. In the garden, Eve heard from the serpent, surely you won't die. As she considered the fruit, as she lusted after it, as she was about to take it, she heard that lie from the serpent, surely you will not die. And physically, she didn't. Physically, she and Adam did not die that day. And you can imagine that when Achan had gone into the room and seen all of the treasure and the devoted things, that he too heard that same voice in his head. He heard, surely you won't die. Who's going to know? Surely you won't die. But it seems like Achan will die. Seems that's exactly what is going to happen for his sin. In many ways, uh, Achan is the anti-Rahab. If we consider where we've been through the story so far in Joshua, Rahab was a Canaanite, but by faith, she effectively becomes an Israelite, and she's saved. But Achan, on the other hand, is an Israelite, but in his unfaithfulness, effectively becomes a Canaanite and will be destroyed. And yet, you probably have picked up on this. Maybe you're a bit perplexed because God says Israel has sent. The nation of Israel has broken faith. And there's this horrible possibility that we read here in the middle of this passage that God will not be with Israel any longer because they have sinned. They have transgressed the covenant is what he said. That literally means that they have passed over the covenant. That's a cruel play on words by the author of Joshua. Just like the people have passed over dry ground through the Jordan into the promised land, the author is saying, and you have passed over my covenant. You have literally trampled on my word. They have done an outrageous thing. They have stolen and lied and God is clear. Israel will not have success. They will not be able to stand before her enemies until the devoted things are removed from their midst. So friends, what I hope we see here is that no one sins in isolation. No one's sin stays just with them. Because maybe you've, you've heard what I'm saying about Israel sinning and Israel transgressing the covenant and you're reading it here in the word of God and you're and you're maybe thinking well that's just unfair that's unfair it was Achan it was one guy why is the whole community threatened we we are uh, prone to be hyper individualistic in our culture today we are we are living in a time where the notion of any type of corporate responsibility or corporate sin or corporate culpability is crazy talk. Like we, we don't have a category for that. And sadly, because so many people and probably even people that we know, friends that we know, live in isolation. They're detached from any meaningful community, there is no category for how an individual's decision can affect the whole because we've been so disjointed. And that's why we, we get this, this idea, which is a fallacy, that you can have a private faith, 
that, that your faith is just between you and God and you're apart from any type of responsibility from the greater whole. But we are the church and we belong to one another. We are members of one body. And so isolated sin does not exist because we belong to one another. Sin is cancer. It's cancer. What's, what's maybe even more heartbreaking than what Ravi Zacharias did was that the fact that there were so many in his ministry, the RZIM ministry that covered up, that protected him, that vilified the women that were coming forward. They portrayed Ravi Zacharias as a victim. And that was despite dozens and dozens of red flags the way that he was operating in his ministry, the way that he would subvert accountability. But there were so many inside the ministry that, that chose, by and large, to turn a blind eye to all of that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in that chapter, after it's discovered that one of the Corinthian church members was involved in significant sexual sin, Paul says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, we, we think about that account in 1 Corinthians, and maybe you would argue, well, yeah, of course, that, that is true. That was well known. Like, people knew that that man was engaged in incredible acts of sexual sin and were tolerating him. But here in this, in, in chapter 7 in Joshua, Achan, Achan's doing something off on the side on his own. So, how, again, how can Israel be culpable for something that they weren't aware of? Achan's sin was secret, after all. Well, first of all, secret sins do not stay secret forever. Secret sins will not be in the dark forever. And first of all, God is never kept from our secret sin. He, he knows all things. So before God, there is no secret we live our entire lives before the face of God. But even if you are not aware of the secret sin that might be in someone else's life, it still affects you. Have you considered that? Even if you're not aware of what I'm doing in secret, my sin still affects you. That means, for example, with RZIM ministry, they were, they were severely compromised and wounded well before anything came out about Ravi Zacharias. It might have looked like to us from the outside, like I said earlier, that RZI Ministries was thriving and flourishing, but in reality, they were decaying in real time. All you have to do is just ask any of the women who've had their lives turned upside down by the secret sin of Ravi Zacharias. Here in this passage, 36 men dead because of the secret sin of Achan. You might believe that whatever you spend time looking at on your phone at one in the morning has no bearing to the person sitting in front of you right now. You might really think that. What's it to you how many glasses of, of wine I have in my living room each night? I know I shouldn't be fantasizing about another man's wife, but that's not your problem, that's mine. And what I want to say is, no, that is 
our problem. That is our problem. Sin does not stay in isolation. It doesn't just stay with me. It doesn't just stay with you. Your ability to love me and my ability to love you is greatly affected. You think about it this way. The pancreas riddled with cancer doesn't get to say to the foot, don't worry about me. You just do you. You're a foot. You do your thing. We know that's ridiculous because the cancer, when it runs its course, does not just kill the pancreas, but the whole body. Friends, sin is serious and it's urgent. Poor Joshua found out in this passage, if, if you're ever asked the question, does God want me to have a quiet time all the time? The answer is no. You, just, you point people to this passage because what does God say to Joshua as he begins to lay before him and pray? He says, get up. Get up. Don't pause and pray. You need to act. Get up. God wants us to deal with sin quickly before it grows. And, bef- and because it's an affront to God. It's an affront to God. It, it's destroying us and it's destroying our witness to the world. We, family, have got to understand sin. We've got to understand the ugliness of sin, the dangers of sin. We want to know that we're not called to just wink at sin and to pretend it's not there or to minimize it. We, we should not be operating in a, in a place that says it's unloving to talk about sin. It's actually the most loving thing we could do. And so that's why we're going to spend this week and next week. We're going to finish out chapter 7 next week. We're going to continue to consider these things together. The seriousness of sin. Now, did you catch the hope in this passage though? Because up until this point, things are are pretty bleak. But did you catch the hope? See, all of Israel has broken faith, but God will restore relationship with his people. He will bring life after sin once the sin is put away and the sinner is punished. Here, God's people are suffering because of the sin of a man in the line of Judah. But God's people will be healed by the grace of another man in the line of Judah. And his name is Jesus. Although Jesus was sinless and perfect, he hung on a cross like an Achan. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake... He made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Taking, turning away, and transgressing were terminal for Jesus, but not for those of us who have been clothed in his righteousness. That means there is forgiveness for your secret sins, but they have to be drug out into the light, friends. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we we have fellowship with one another and we are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. That's good news. That's the good news that that Andrew just talked about as we considered Psalm 51 together. There's good news that God 
doesn't begrudgingly forgive us. He joyfully and abundantly forgives us in Jesus Christ. We turn to him and confess and walk in forgiveness. It's good news. Well, let me ask you a question. What is that thing? What is that thing that you've decided that you will never tell anyone else about? We're 15 verses into chapter 7, and we haven't heard from Achan yet. Don't we, don't we want to hear from him? Don't we read what's going on, and don't we want to hear from Achan? We plead, please, confess your sin. Come clean, Achan. God will forgive you. He's merciful. Achan, throw yourselves on the mercy of God. Brothers and sisters, we want and we hope that City Church is the safest place in the world for you to bring sin into the light. This, the people of God, our family, kept by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, this should be the safest place for you to confess sin, to drag dark secrets into the light, your sins have been paid for on the cross. Romans 8, therefore there is no longer any condemnation for those of us found in Christ Jesus. You are free to walk into the light and be healed. Your sin has alienated you from God. It's alienated you from us, from one another. But the gospel unlocks the dark rooms and the spirit brings courage to open the door and step out. You are loved greatly by the one who died to set you free. So be free. So be free. Some of you, even in this moment, might really be in that place where you are thinking about that one thing that you have told yourself you would never let another person know. You, you right now might be in what is referred to often as the valley of decision, which means that you are compelled by the Spirit, even in this moment, to open that door, to walk into the light. And yet you haven't, because it's scary. And I know, I've been there before. A lot of you have been there before as well. If you're in the valley of decision, friends, I plead and pray with you to open the door and walk into the light. If you confess your sins, he freely forgives you, and washes you clean. May, may today be the day that you no longer operate in the shadows. May today be the day that if you're found in Christ, you know that you are no longer under the dominion of sin. Might today be that day. Pray and plead that it is. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we acknowledge before you that, that we are so allured and uh, attracted to the darkness. 
We confess to you that it's so often the darkness that seems to be the safer place than the light. We know that you hate sin. We know the lengths that you went to deal with sin. You sent your son to the cross. Jesus, you went to the cross to die for us. And so for those of us who claim the name of Christ and who have faith, we are no longer condemned. So I pray that if any of my friends this morning are trapped in secret sin, if any of my friends this morning have saw something and have been attracted to it and their own desires taken, I pray that they would confess and bring that into the light, knowing that you are so good and you are so desirous to forgive. Father, I pray that we would remember that our sin does not stay just with us. No matter what our sin is, no matter what we do behind closed doors, no matter what we scroll past on our phone at one in the morning, no matter what we do with our food or drink or money, if we sin against you, we also sin against one another. So may we have a a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And Spirit, I pray that you would do that work. I pray that you would compel by your loving conviction to move us out of the dark and into the glorious light. We love you. We know this is what you're pleased to do. May we be found obedient. It's in Christ we pray. Amen.